Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. We're in the, what's called the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew was a firsthand witness of Jesus of Nazareth. And he became very convinced that this is not just some ordinary man or impressive teacher, but this, in fact, is God in the flesh. This is the Messiah whom the Old Testament prophesied and talked about. And, and Matthew decided, I'm going to leave everything and follow him. And it's because of his firsthand account and his words of putting it all together, we have this angle on the life of Jesus. And Matthew has a purpose in his book. And I want to make sure you have this in context before we jump further. Matthew's purpose ultimately is to, to show that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that the Old Testament was all aiming toward. If you wonder what this or who this book is about, it's about Jesus, the whole thing. And then ultimately his purpose is to show that all people, especially irreligious, excluded, unimportant people who put their faith in Jesus experience salvation and transformation. And that's the claim in the Gospel of Matthew. And today... He starts to shift things a little bit. I, I was thinking maybe if it was a movie that, that the cameraman was turning onto a different, different player or a different person in the role, but that's not actually what's happening. Today, it's almost like the camera had been zoomed in on Jesus for the last several chapters where you find out about who he is, his genealogy, his testing in the wilderness, and then you start to see his teachings and his miracles. And now Matthew's going to start to zoom out and he's going to start including in the work of Jesus the disciples and his followers. It's going to start including more people in what's going on here. So let's look at Matthew chapter 9. Let's read it, and then we're going to unpack it for a few minutes. Are you with me? All right, all right, good. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the what? The good news. The gospel is what? Yes, don't forget it. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In the chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness." And it goes on and says, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon is called Peter and his brother Andrew, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, that's the writer, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go yet to the Gentiles, that comes in the book of Acts, or any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go... Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Now go freely give. This is the word of the Lord. I want to spend a few minutes and I want to unpack this. And it's interesting because today this text coincidentally coincides 
with an annual call that we make as a church. Every year coming into December, we just take a moment to invite everybody to recommit and invest in King's Church with your life, with your finances, volunteering, all of that. It's a time every year where we just talk about the value and the importance of what we're doing here as a church, and we invite our whole family to contribute and be part of it. And it's also an opportunity for some of you new folks who have maybe been attending for a while to actually jump in and take ownership. And today's text really helps us get a handle on exactly why we do what we do and what we believe the church is all about. So I have a few thoughts I want to jump into today. If you're taking notes, a few things that we're going to pull out of this text. Are you ready? I don't believe you. This first service traumatized me. No, it wasn't, that wasn't that bad. They're all the quiet ones in the first service. All right, first point. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down as we unpack this. And we're going we're gonna to circle some stuff in your Bible. We're going to mark it up. If you're on your phone, you can highlight it. We're going to jump right in. First idea, number one, you need to recognize there is a harvest. A harvest. Let's jump back into the text and see what this means. Let's, let's highlight a couple things. So it tells us that Jesus had gone through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. He doesn't, doesn't de like declare which specific town, just in the general region, Jesus was going from town to town. And specifically, he was teaching the good news of the kingdom. And then Matthew draws our attention to this. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So something about the crowds moved them. And then Matthew gives us why. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus is going from town to town and he sees the, the, the crowds and he's stirred. And Matthew gives us the reason. More on that in a second. But then it tells us that he said to his disciples, and this is important, the harvest is plentiful. Now let's just unpack this for a few minutes and we'll, we'll go beyond that in a second. But what's going on here? Now, within these three verses, three sentences, we can actually start to piece in together what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about the harvest is plentiful. You can't really understand this and what Jesus is meaning, well, one, outside of the context of the whole Bible, which we'll get to in a minute, but specifically with these lead-in sentences. So Jesus is going from town to town, and it says that he saw the crowds, the people, society, doing its thing, you know, working in commerce, going to worship or whatever they're doing. And he saw them and he had compassion on them. Now, some translators talk about this, the terminology here in the word compassion. And it really elicits like a visceral gut level. His heart sort of broke for them. Have you ever been in a circumstance or a moment where you saw something and it literally like grabbed your heart and just ripped it out? Not literally. That literally, hopefully, did not happen. But as a manner of speaking, like, have you ever seen something where it just broke your heart? Your heart was just like, oh. This is the thing that's happening with Jesus. When he sees the crowds going about their business, going to work, doing their thing, living day in, day out, his response wasn't, look at these people on their grind, doing so good. His response was, oh. 
Have you ever had a moment like that? I remember a couple weeks ago, I was coming out of uh, my basketball pickup run on Wednesday night, 10 o'clock. It was freezing cold, uptown St. John. And I see a mom with two little kids, you know, crossing the street at 10 o'clock at night. And I could tell you there wasn't a good reason that they were out there that night. You could just sort of see the whole thing. You ever, you ever see those, like see poverty happening? You think, oh, those, you pray for those kids. But your heart immediately just goes, oh, that's the response Jesus had when he saw the crowds. Not just people in poverty and not just a, a, a difficult circumstance, but when he looked out and he saw people, his response was, oh. And it tells us why. It says they were harassed, they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, now who's it talking about? Who is harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd? Everyone. It doesn't narrow it down. It's like he looked and he saw that one crowd that gets overlooked. And I was like, he's looking at all people and his response is that they, they, they're like harassed and helpless. Uh, another, another translation says, torn and thrown down, beaten and battered, hurt and hungry, lost, naked and afraid. This was the analogy, this was the feeling that Jesus had when he saw the crowds. And that's really important that you see that and that you get that because you won't understand what he's saying here and what he's seeing if you don't first get that when he looks at humanity and he looks at society and he looks at the nations, he goes, oh, oh, look at them hurt and helpless, harassed and helpless, torn and thrown down, lost without a leader that knows how to get them to a better place. Follow politics lately? Harassed and helpless. When he looks around the world, he doesn't see people who just need a break to get things perfect. He doesn't see the, you know, the, the progressive gospel of John Lennon that says, imagine all the people living for today. <laughs> Please. Now he, he sees the reality of humankind. He sees the reality and that is that you and I are lost and hopeless harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it's in that context that Jesus then turns to his disciples and he says, the harvest is plentiful. So he's seeing two things, and I want you to get this. When he looks at the world, he looks out and he sees our companies and our endeavors and our, our plans and our wars and our politics and all the stuff of society, and he says, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But you know what else he saw? He saw a harvest that was there, latent, hidden, full of potential, right behind the scenes, available. It's as though Jesus was, was drawing the, the, the disciples' attention to their state of humanity and then simultaneously saying, but good news, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't actually have to be that way, that humanity doesn't need to be lost and harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. And he talks about this harvest. He speaks to this idea that there actually is plenty. Maybe there's some language for us to understand what's going on here. It's really important that you get this. You won't understand what he's even doing later on. 
The reality is human beings lack. We lack life. We lack joy. We lack peace. We lack answers. We lack truth. We lack grace. We lack mercy. We lack lack hope. We lack courage. We lack friendship. Add in the thing. There's never quite enough, is there? And yet Jesus turns and says, oh, but, but with me, the harvest is actually plentiful. I actually see a harvest. I actually see an abundance. I actually see life, and I've come for this purpose. Now, Matthew uses this language of a sheep and a shepherd, and so does the Apostle John, who is also an eyewitness. John records that Jesus said this. This is really important. Here's how Jesus worded the same message in a different context, in a different way. He said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. These lost ones, I'm going to corral them in and bring them to salvation and safety. And it says, all who have come before me are thieves and robbers. They might be promised in utopia, but I tell you, they are robbers. But the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But here it is. I have come that they may have, say it with me. They may have, oh, say it with some gusto. They may have. Yes, and that, that word life here really matters. It's, it's bigger than what you and I might think. It's not just referring to eternal life in the sense of when you die, you'll go to heaven, although that is true. When to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ, we know that to be true. But the word life here is the Greek word zoe. And zoe is like this fullness of life. It's an abundance of life that never perishes, spoils, or fades. So yes, that means eternal life of your soul and your spirit, but it also means fulfillment and abundance now. That's what Zoe is actually talking about. Uh, another translation uh, says, you know, this, this one says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I think that NLT says, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Let me say this so the people at the back hear it. Jesus has come that you may have abundant life. Like abundant life. Lacking nothing. Lacking no good thing. That he desires to bring a harvest of fruitfulness and life in your life. That is what he's after. Let me say it like this. According to Jesus, there is a harvest of life abundant and eternal life that looks like the flourishing of the whole cosmos. Say, that's a big deal. That's a, it's a big deal. Like this, y'all, can I, just, can I just get off on a tangent for just a second? I'll promise I'll bring it back in. But let me just say, this, this, the, the gospel of Jesus and the grand story of Scripture is much bigger than you coming to a point of decision and praying a prayer, Jesus, save me. You need to do that, and that is important. And when you do confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But make no mistake about it, this is a lot bigger than you dying and going to heaven someday. The gospel of Jesus is about the renewal and restoration of all things. It is the return to life for the whole universe. Wow, Pastor Brent, that's a big deal. No, it, it, is, it is huge, this, this concept of abundant life, this, this concept. Like, like, let's go back to Genesis chapter one. 
Remember Genesis chapter, anybody remember the 1-1, one, one, Genesis 1-1? One, one. Some of you people have been in church for a while. This is a test. What is it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on. It talks about day after day, how God created everything, right? And then on day six, he finishes up by creating human beings, the pinnacle of creation. And then it says, and God saw all that he had made and he called it what? No, he called it very good. This, this is not very good, whatever that thing is. He called it very good. He saw all that he made is very good. And you know what he said to the people too? He said this, here's your destiny, human beings. Fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply abundance. Fill the earth and subdue it. Bring order and more to my creation. That was the original design for humanity. Abundance and authority. The ability to administer God's governance in such a way that the creation continues to abound and multiply in eternal increasing life and glory and beauty and joy. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That's the grand story. That's what God is about. God is a God of life. The, the, the gospel is a gospel of life. Jesus is talking about a harvest of life. And let me just say this so you get it. Jesus wants to do more than just give you a roadmap to heaven. He wants to do more than just give you some cool things to think about. No, he is after the entire transformation of the, the whole universe. Like it's that big. Read Ephesians 4.10 when you go home. It actually says that, that he descended and ascended to fill the whole universe with himself, who is life. Like that's big stuff what God is after. It, it is, say it's big. It's big, yes. You're with me. I heard more than just Bradford. I heard everybody. There is a harvest. There is a harvest. We've, we've got to zoom out and see that God is a God of fruitfulness, y'all. He's a God of life. He's not a God of death. That's, that's who he is. And, and I want to just circle this a little bit more. Here's the second point. I want us to zoom in before we get to our role in all of this. There is a harvest according to Jesus. He looks around and he sees society and he's grieved and moved to compassion. And then he says, there is a harvest though. But specifically, he ties the harvest into someone. Notice this. So he's moved to compassion. He sees that they're harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Let me just highlight that one more time. And then he said, here's what you need to do. There is a harvest. There's abundance available, but it's connected to someone. You need, you need to ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest, specifically the Lord of the harvest. This is important. It's not just that there's a harvest of life and fruitfulness available for human beings and all of creation. Romans 8 says creation longs that the sons of God will be revealed, that there will be full restoration. But there is a source of said harvest that we must come to grips with. The harvest does not come through politicians' promises. It doesn't come through Elon Musk's ingenuity. It does not come through Amazon, as great as their delivery service is. It's fantastic. I didn't tell you this, Mel, but uh, the other day I was driving Alex home and we went by the UPS truck and once again he goes, hey, there's Mom's favorite truck. He's like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. The harvest does not come through eBay. It doesn't come through Pierre Polyev, you know, waxing 
Trudeau up and down Congress or whatever. Like it doesn't, doesn't come from Ukraine, you know, getting freedom from this war. That's not where the true harvest comes from. It doesn't come from world peace and political leaders figuring out how we all can just get along. That's not where the harvest comes from. The harvest comes from the Lord. Like it comes from... He is the source of all life. And this whole grand story of life did not get its genesis outside of him saying the word. It's really important. Now, sometimes we get it mixed up because we have the, we have the power to make things. We're creative. We're, we're, we're ingenuity. We have ingenuity and technology and those things are all great. God gave us the ability to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. However, when we try to have the kingdom without the king, we run into problems. It creates death. It creates a cycle of destruction. And if you want to read what happens from Genesis 3 on until Christ comes, you see a cycle of destruction over and over again of people trying to take the kingdom and the problem of fruitfulness into their own hands. And what happens when we do that is division, deception, destruction, distortion. Those things keep perpetuating themselves over and over again. Look, the, the political turmoil and the wars and the rumors of wars, you know, hunger, poverty, all of these problems of society, they're not new. They were there when Jesus saw the crowds. And they've been there since Cain killed Abel. They've been there since the Tower of Babel and that great human exper experiment that thought, you know what, let's build a tower that reaches the heavens. We can get the heavenly stuff ourselves. And over and over again, the scripture says, if you cannot have the harvest without the Lord of the harvest. He is the one who brings life. He is the one who brings life. Isn't it interesting? I was thinking this this morning. You know, it shows the attitude of humanity. Like you, you've heard of like an act of God, you know, in your insurance policy, right? Like we've got some insurance people here. Like there's, a, there's the, the act of God, like this outlier disaster, right? Has anybody heard of that? Yes, I'm not making that up. There's, a, there's like an act of God. Oh, there's a forest fire. It was an act of God. It's interesting that human beings view God's, God's like involvement with the earth as destructive. But in actuality, no, destruction is the act of man apart from God. The act of God is always unto life. That's who he is. He's a God of life. He's a God who brings life. He's a bringer of life. All of the issues that we have in this world are because we're trying to do the kingdom without the king. We're trying to, to build a tower to the heavens and exclude God in his rightful place as Lord of the harvest. If you want fulfillment and you want the good life, the Zoe life, the abundant life, it's only gonna be to the degree that you let the Lord of the harvest have his rightful place in your world. It's only then that life flows and abundance happens. This is what James, the brother of Jesus, was getting at in his letter. Look, James 1, he says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Don't fool yourself into thinking that this is something it's not. Every good and perfect gift, every good thing in this world, fullness of joy, peace, hope, kindness, mercy, gentleness, community, family, all of it, 
Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Comes from above. So heaven is our source. The Lord of the harvest is our source. Comes from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. There's that language again, that garden, harvest, fruitfulness language. This is what the true story of the scripture is all about. It's about the Lord of the harvest bringing the the broken creation back to fullness of life through his servant, Jesus. Jesus used different language one time. He said, um, I am the vine, You are the the branches. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless a branch is connected to the vine, it's not going to get the source of life to bear fruit, correct? Hang on with me just a few more minutes. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing, but remain in me, stay connected to me, the source of life, and you will what? Bear much fruit. Yeah, fruitfulness will be the result of being connected to Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, and my father is the gardener. He's the one that's the Lord of the harvest overseeing the whole endeavor. That's who he is. So it's really important that you get this, that there is a harvest. Next time you turn on CNN, don't get angry. Get holy discontent that says it doesn't have to be this way. The next time you have bad news, the next time you see something that grieves your heart, we as the people of God should be the ones to be reminded, ah, God made this world to be good. And all that division and destruction stuff is the result of human beings taking matters into their own hands, excluding the Lord of the harvest. So the response we should have first and foremost when we see bad news is to turn to the Lord of the harvest. Remind ourselves that he is the giver of life. And then let's, let's, let's bring it home. I'm almost done. Are you with me still? This is big stuff, but it's, it's, it's like it's the whole of Scripture, and I want you to get it. So there is a harvest, and there is a Lord of the harvest who is the source. But then Jesus does something shocking. Let me give you the point, and then we'll break it down. Number three, the church are the workers of the harvest. So there's a harvest that God wants to bring about. And when Jesus looked at the world and he looked at society, he thought, oh, it doesn't have to be this way. There's a plentiful harvest. Heaven lacks nothing. And heaven is waiting and wanting to invade the earth with life. This can happen, but it's going to require workers. Look what Jesus said. That's the wrong slide. Let me just quote it. Matthew 9, before we get to chapter 10. What what, did he say? Matthew 9, bring it back up in your mind or on your screen. He said, Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. And then what did he say? He said, ask the Lord of the harvest, what? Not to send fruit. Yeah, to send workers. To send people to participate in his desire to bring about fruitfulness that God would send workers to make this fruit a reality on earth as it is in heaven. God is looking to fill the whole cosmos with his life and love and power and presence and goodness. And the way that he's going to do that is through his people. Amen? Amen. Look, Look what happens next. Now, just think about this for a minute. 
So Matthew 9 ends with Jesus saying, pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to send workers. And then the next verse, Matthew 10, again, there weren't these chapter breaks in the original text. Look what happens. This is by design. So Jesus says, guys, believe it or not, there's a huge harvest of righteousness and fruitfulness that God wants to do. You should pray that God sends workers. And I can almost picture Jesus smirking while he says this to his disciples who are like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, bring the harvest. And then he turns and look what it says. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. And he says, you're up, guys. <laughs> and they're like, wait, whoa, what? Now we picture the disciples as these like, these amazing workers of the kingdom, the 12 apostles. I mean, they knew what they were doing, right? Not at this point. This would have been a shocker for them calls them over and he says he gave them authority. Hmm, that sounds similar to Genesis 1 when God said, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over it. That's authority. Jesus gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. It sounds like bringing health to broken, lacking creation, doesn't it? As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received from the Lord of the harvest. Freely you give the life you have received. And God's design is for his people to be the conduit through which the life of the kingdom flows. Church, we have got to be a church that gets this. You, you have got to see yourself as a participant in God's project to fill the whole world with his life and love and truth and mercy and grace and peace and hope. You have got to see yourself as that. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus was getting at. Like, like look, 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 look what happens at the end of Matthew. Flip forward to Matthew 28. Jesus sends the disciples out. They fumble around a little bit trying to do the Jesus stuff. It gets better in the book of Acts. But Jesus goes to the cross, dies on the tree. Now let me just pull some, for some of you Bible nerds, some symbol, some like threads here. He dies on the tree, of, like the cursed tree. You remember in the garden, it was a tree that got us into trouble in the first place. And Jesus dies on the tree and then he rises again in life, conquering death. His disciples actually found him someplace after he rose. Do you know where that was? A garden. God is a poet, y'all. And then he, he rises and then he appears to his disciples and then he takes them up on a mountainside and he gives them these last words. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, you would not believe how closely tied that commission is to the original commission of humanity in Genesis 1. Is it, doesn't that sound pretty familiar to human beings? Be fruitful. Go and fill the earth with more of my life and goodness. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Jesus is speaking about multiplication, bringing new creation into the world, expanding the kingdom of God, 
by his power and grace. This is the job of the church. And I had to hit that this morning because I really believe that Jesus wants the church to recover the grand vision of our job in the world. Guess what, King's Church? God has placed you here right now to bring the kingdom of God to Atlantic Canada right now. Like to bring the fruit and life of the kingdom to Atlantic Canada right now. He could have picked to plant you anywhere, any when. And he chose to plant you here now. To the glory of his name that we would see the kingdom come. Listen, the kingdom coming to the earth and the fruitfulness of God and the joy in the life of God was accomplished by what Jesus did on the cross, but make no mistake about it, it is limited by your involvement at times. And you and I have a part to play in our day-to-day lives. It's not the job of the preacher or the pastor. Every human being, every believer, notice he just said a general go. It wasn't, okay, pastors are gonna go win people for Christ. No, It's you, mom, it's you, dad, it's you at your workplace, it's you on the job, it's you at hockey practice or wherever you are, you are there on a mission. Oh my goodness. In fact, let me just say it like I feel it. The church doesn't have a mission in the world. You know, we say that, like the church has a mission to go reach and save the lost. That's too small. Actually, God's mission has a church in the world. That's why we're here. We are here to to introduce people to Jesus, to connect them into the source of life, to help them abide in the vine, that they may bear much fruit and multiply, and that we would see their family come to know Jesus, and that we'd see their kids' kids come to know Jesus, and that you'd see this, what was an infection of sin and disease and dismay, leaving us helpless and hurting like sheep without a shepherd. You start to see the flow of God's grace and goodness infiltrate family after family, community after community, school after school, person after person until the world starts to look a little bit more like Jesus intended it to. And if you, if you, if you flip to the end of the book, we spent a lot of time working through Revelation, but you know how this story ends? Like Revelation 21, 22, you start to see God's kingdom fully established on earth as it is in heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth and they were brought together once and for all in perfect union. And then it talks about like the new creation and the new heaven, new earth. And it's a picture of a garden, y'all. A garden city that goes on and is fruitful without end. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is what Jesus came to do. On his shoulders will rest the government and the governance of his peace will be without end. It will never lack. There will never be a country that calls his rule into question. It will multiply throughout eternity, throughout the cosmos. And I can nerd out with you for a while on what we're going to do with the stars forever and ever. We'll save that for another day. No nerds in the place? You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. I mean, we're going to live forever and ever taking the glory and life of God throughout the universe. I guess this is big stuff, y'all. And so we have this little part to play right now as the church. Let me just say without shame, 100% believe. I have served the local church 
full-time for just about 17 years, and I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly in the church. The church is full of people that found Jesus who are works in process, myself included. We don't always get it right. And there are things at times we need to repent of often, things we need to own, things we missed. And I think a church that isn't honest about that really needs to evaluate themselves and see Jesus again and have a posture of humility. I get that. But let's not let the enemy have us rehearse condemnation in such a way that it makes us miss the fact that the church is the number one agency on the earth of good things. It really is. I saw this tweet going around uh, just a couple days ago. I had to share it. Scott Sauls, he's a pastor in the States. He, he pulled this, this stat from the Barna Group, who are like surveyors and statisticians and stuff. It says, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022 at $300 billion in one year Christians gave to charities and organizations that need help, people that need food. Christians also outgave the U.S. government in addressing global, po global poverty. Whatever folks might say or think, the church remains a seismic value add to the world. I would say, in fact, that there's no other group that's even close. It's, it's not even close. And, and I actually, the, the longer I serve the church, the more amazed I am by like the you know, it's, it's one thing when there's a large church that's able to do big things that get headlines, but you know where the real difference is being made? It's in the faithful. Like week in, week out, faithfulness of people to continue to serve Jesus in the small little unseen ways that nobody ever hears about. Like there are meals going out of churches and Winter clothes going out of churches and truth for the people who are lost going out of the church and hope for the hopeless and purpose for the person who doesn't know why they're even here. That's the reason the church is the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. In light of the harvest, a couple of things and I'm going to pray and we'll be done. In light of the harvest, we must realize we're called to work the harvest where and when God placed us. Let me just say it again so your soul hears it, even if your brain hasn't thought about it yet. You've been planted here on purpose, for a purpose, and you have a part to play in God's kingdom. God's not only interested in making your life abundant just so that you can enjoy his goodness. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. Number two, we must realize that the local church is the primary driver for the harvest on the earth. The church is God's kingdom combine out here doing the harvest work. That's what we are. We are God's primary vehicle for the harvest. Number three, we must own our part in giving ourselves toward the flourishing of the church under the flourishing of the world. Said differently, it's healthy churches that make the world healthy. Oh, does, somebody's got to been around the church long enough to know this is true. It is healthy churches that brings health to the world. Let me say it so it hits us intentionally. The flourishing church of Jesus Christ is Atlantic Canada's best hope. Like full stop. And so I, I share this with you today to let you know like what we're doing here as a church really matters. 
It does. It, it doesn't just matter for you, but it's to matter through you. It's to matter for others. And so you being a part of what God is doing in and through King's Church is part of Atlantic Canada's hope for flourishing and fruitfulness forever and ever. And that's why I have no problem once a year coming hard in the paint and saying, we need you to play a part in the health and flourishing of King's Church. If you come here week in, week out, you know we don't get up here and put the gears on you and say, you gotta give more, you gotta give more. We don't do that week in, week out. We trust your dynamic walk with the Lord to know that we, we're people who give. We hit you twice a year hard. Love week and annual offering. Love week is a moment where we bless the community with no strings attached and the hope that they see the glory and goodness of Jesus. They'll see your good deeds and glorify your father who is in heaven. And then we take an annual offering and the annual offering is simply so that we can put seed in the storehouse that allows us to continue to bring health through King's Church into the region. And it's only through this that our church is actually able to intentionally and strategically grow. If it was just left to our weekly offerings, we'd be able to pay the bills, but we'd never see growth. Growth comes when a seed goes into the ground. And so there comes a rhythm every year where we talk about taking strategic steps and giving an offering. And when you and I all do one small step together, the cumulative effect gives us the opportunity as a church to take a step forward. And we just need to do it every single year because we don't want to just sit idly by and watch the harvest not happen. And so it's for this reason that we take an offering every year and we're, we've been able to do stuff with it. Just this past year, we, we launched the King's Academy of Ministry. We're, we're, we're training up people to, to learn how to minister in the church. It's been going incredibly well and we're excited about what's begun there. All of these things have taken heavy financial investment. We launched the Buckingham Leaders Network. We took what Dr. Buckingham had started, and we have a vision to continue to start helping be a lifter of the regional church. God made King's Church the largest, most probably influential church in Atlantic Canada. Did he do that so he could sit here and brag? Who cares about that anyway? To whom much is given, much is? Yeah. So I believe God is measuring us largely by not just our effect in, in our communities that God has planted us, but what we're doing to help raise up other churches who are on our team. It's one team to be effective. This is a picture of Pastor Dan and Anthony spending a day with leaders at a church in Truro. We're constantly going out trying to help be a lifter of churches. Again, financial investment to make all that happen. We, we launched alpha programs this year like never before. It's been incredible to see. This is a picture of the group in, in Charlottetown uh, taking one of their nights at alpha course. We, we provide these large-scale events so that we can have just people filled up. You know, half of Harvest Conference was King's Church people. The other half was, was women who lead in their context around the region. Our heartbeat is to fill them up so they can go back and help be a, a, a bastion of health in their context. Amen? We were able to launch Love Atlantic this year. We took Love Week beyond just our church, and we facilitated the back end of 121 other churches, 131. It was over 100 anyway. Other churches participating in this. Again, it took substantial financial backing to be able to build the infrastructure to do that. Staff hours and a lot of technology in order to facilitate that. 
We also have our campuses that we're continuing to try to build. This year, we had to move King's Church Halifax into a new lease agreement. We had to get a bunch of equipment there. And so again, large financial investment to do these things. Uh, if you've ever visited King's Church West, or if you haven't, I couldn't encourage you more to go check it out. But they've done incredible work there, but they were able to get into this facility two years ago. And then this past year did major renovations and to, to get equipped to be able to have services uh, in just an incredible way. And then, of course, right now, we're still paying for two church plants. So King's Church Charlottetown is still an infant stage, and we don't expect it's not going to be for a while because it's really challenging to launch in a, a pandemic, but we trust God's timing. But we also launched King's Church St. Stephen this year, which is going really well. But y'all, it's expensive to, to have two church plants at once. In fact, most guys would say probably shouldn't do that. But hey, here we are. God is providing and he has. And we haven't missed a bill or skipped a beat. But I tell you all this to tell you that we've spent all our money. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not afraid of paying the bills week in, week out. But I'm, I am afraid of becoming a church that just settles for paying the bills. Can I say that again? Like, I, God's going to sustain us to be able to meet every week. But the harvest is more important and more plentiful than just us being satisfied with where we've come. And so once a year, we need to take another step and make enough, another investment. I'm not asking the moon from, from any of you. I'm asking you to ask God, what does it look like for me to participate in a step? There are three categories or three types of steps really quick, and I'll pray. One, the step of ownership. Some of you are new to the church, and maybe even more so, you're new to Christianity. And this idea of being the people that are the number one agents of, of God's life on the earth through our generosity is new to you. Well, I would challenge you to just put God to the test and start trying to participate. Take some ownership in the house of God that he's planted you in and play a small part. Ask him what he would have you do and do it, and you watch him surprise you. I'm not going to put some burden of obligation on you. You can keep coming, but it gets a lot better when you start owning your part here. Not just giving financially, but volunteering, being part of the home church. Get plugged in. Get planted in the soil. Feed what feeds you and watch what God does with that. Second group is the step of stewardship. A lot of you maybe are new Christians or you've been following him for a year or two or maybe you've just been sort of in this zone for a while. But there's another step God wants to take you where you move from just ownership to actually putting him first in your finances. I would, I would describe it like this. You know, God wants you to first learn how to tip. Then he wants you to learn how to tithe. And some of you need to, need to move from being tippers to tithers. People who actually say, you know what? I actually believe God is my provider and I'm, gonna, I'm actually gonna put this portion first and trust him to bless the rest. I'll just put that challenge out to some of you. You know what it is. I don't need to explain it to you. Some of you used to do it and you stopped. Start again and make that step. Final step is this, and this is a huge category of our people. You already take ownership. You, you tithe every single week. My wife and I do as well. And we would ask you to give an offering above and beyond what you normally do this time of the year to help us replenish the storehouse so that we can continue to plant churches and raise up leaders and to be a blessing in the region in new ways and in greater ways. Does that make sense? So here's what you can do. Uh, there's a cue card, uh, cue card, not a cue card. What are they called? QR. QR. 
kids these days. There's a QR code on uh, the paper on your, on your seat. If you're here at the Valley, if you're online, you can go to our website. Uh, and the, that's the easiest way to go to our website, how to participate. You can participate anytime this month. We know now we live in a time where we give at different times and that's fine. This is just before year end. I would encourage you and your, you know, your family or your spouse, do it together if you're not single and ask the Lord how we'd have you respond. Uh, for me and Mel, you know, we're, we don't got stacks at home. So like, it's for us, it's a calculated sacrifice, right? It's to say, you know, I don't, we don't have a bunch of money to give a big offering. That's not the stage of life we're in right now but we can carve some things out of our life to make room over the year. So some people will make a commitment to say, throughout the year, I'm gonna give a little bit above and beyond what I was planning to do. And so that's an easy way for a lot of you. Cut out Tim Hortons and give it to the kingdom. Somebody's like, how dare you? <laughs> no, do it. I dare you. Commit that and see what God does. So I ask you to respond, and uh, I believe God's going to just bring uh, incredible fruit through the seed that you give. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray and dismiss us. I want to pray out of Acts chapter 4. This is uh, what the first disciples prayed after being workers of the harvest got real for them. Uh, in the book of Acts, it says that John and Peter were uh, really opposed for the faith and they took some flack and actually some violence. And then it says they came back and they gathered together and look what they prayed. And I kind of want to just pray this over us. I felt moved to do it this morning. This is after their release from prison. And Peter prayed, now, verse 29, now, Lord, Consider the threats against your church. Consider the threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miracles, signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So Father, uh, we pray this again. Lord, give us great boldness in the hour that you've called us. Lord, many of us here would say before you that this, has been, this is the hardest time in our society in Canada that we've ever had to be Christian. And yet, Lord, we ask for great boldness that we wouldn't cower away from the moment that we're in, but we would step up and step out as workers in your harvest. Father, I pray you'd fill us and fill your church with the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray you would anoint us for good works here in Atlantic Canada. Help us take seriously what's happening, even when it seems like monotony. Help us believe and realize that your church is the vehicle. It is the hope of the earth. Help us not take that for granted. And I pray for each of my brothers and sisters. Holy Spirit, would you help them respond in cheerful joy? Lord, we bind the voice of the accuser and the liar who would try to guilt us into anything. God, you don't guide us with guilt. You guide us with conviction. Lord, would you help us respond to your spirit and how you're leading us to invest in the church. We pray this in Jesus' name, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.